Welcome to another episode of Return on Character Investing, or Return on Character podcast, where we interview people who are famous and should be famous that think character matters. Today on the show is Chet Kapoor, chairman and CEO of Datastat, legend in the Silicon Valley arena. And, um, and we are, we are, I'm thrilled to have you on the show with us today. Thank you for taking the time, Chet. Thanks, Dan. It's great to be here. It's not often that we have people that come and probably have the story that you do. Um, and so I would be remiss to not start off with telling us uh, how you kind of started, how you came in, came from India to America, how you ended up getting to where you are today. Um, it would be a great honor if you wouldn't mind sharing some of that with us, and then we can get into some of the stuff that you've done and, and that, you, that you're doing today and maybe a discussion around character in the Silicon Valley. But I would love to hear your story, Chet, from the beginning. I think all your listeners, listeners would too. It's just, Dan, it's just one word. It's luck. I just <laughs> was at the right place at the right time and everything worked. <laughs> um, there, there, there is some truth to that, but uh, let me give you the story a little bit. Um, born and brought up in Calcutta, and um, I, uh, I've always been a avid reader and uh, used to hang out at the British Council Library in Calcutta and uh, read this, little, this book called The Little Kingdom, written by Mike Moritz uh, from Sequoia, who used to be a Times reporter. And I think I, I think I was like 15 or something like that. And I was like, I read the book and I was like, holy cow. It was about Steve Jobs and about Steve Wozniak doing Apple. And I was like, that's who I need to work for. I'm going to go and work for Steve Jobs. And that was my, that was my mission in 1983. And my little take boy was, in Calcutta. Little boy in Calcutta. <laughs> I was like so intrigued by what they were doing. Like I knew a little bit about computers and all that stuff, but I was like the, I didn't have a Commodore 64, like a lot of people talk about in the Valley and not because we couldn't afford it. It just wasn't part of the thing that we did. But from then on out, took computer classes, went and did mainframe share time, figured out how to do all those different things and said, I'm just gonna come and obviously travel to the States right after high school, come for a bachelor's degree. It doesn't happen very often. But I was a minority few that did that. And I talked about higher education and computer science, but none of that was really important. What was really important was me coming to work for Steve. That was the driver for the entire thing. And uh, I held on to it. Um, you know, I, I, I followed everything that Steve did from uh, Steve Jobs did from, uh, from Apple, when he went to Next. And that all happened while I was in the States. And so I said, okay, great. You know what? I'm still going to go and work for him. He, even though he's at Max and he's changed his mission and he's doing it differently and he got slapped around along the way, right, at Apple, which I'm sure he would have said that, you know, it was a good thing. Um, and um, I was very focused on it and went to Arizona State and Next had a campus consultant program because they were focused on the education market. And I um, I won my, won my way to becoming a campus consultant. So I was working for... Next, in 1988, literally, you know, like five years after I decided I was going to do that. And then my first job out of college was working for Next. So it, it, it came all the way, lots and lots of hard work, right, along the way. And, you know, lots of things that happened, how you earn your way through college, how you have a business, how do you pay for this, pay for that, you do, you know, the, 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 the rice and beans part, all of that, all of that's behind it. But 
got to next and I was like, wow, it exceeded. You know, one of those things where you think you want to climb a mountain, Dan, and you're like, you know, work really hard to get on top of the mountain. Like, you know, okay, it's not that great. It was more majestic than anything I would have imagined, right? And uh, so here's why. There are lots of, and we may take a little little uh, diversion here. There are lots of things you can talk about Steve Jobs and, you know, who he is and how he, how he led and things like that. But the one thing that Next did was it, you know, Steve assembled the highest concentration of smart people that I have seen in my 30 plus years in the industry. The, the best of the best, you know, the best of the best. And I was the guy that, you know, got coffee for the guy that made coffee. Right. I mean, I was like, I mean, and I didn't give a shit. Right. Because all I cared about was that I was like, you know, working, you know, 100 yards away from Steve's office. And like if, 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 he, if he was alive and he met me, he wouldn't know who I was. Right. But it didn't matter. I got a chance to. It's like, um, you know, a lot of people say 80 uh, percent uh, of your personality is formed in the first four years of your life. Uh, I think that's true in the professional world. If you hang out with really smart people, a lot of who you become depends on who you've associated yourselves with in the early days. And I, I was foiled rotten, right? Because I had such a high concentrate, not because of the Italian leather couches, right? That were flown in because Steve liked them uh, aesthetically pleasing, but it was because of the high concentration of people. And that, that exceeded my expectations in any which way or form. And most people would say, Next was not a success. Um, what, what people would say was Next was a stepping stone for Steve to come back to Apple. So it worked out okay, but I got it. It didn't matter whether the mission was successful or not. What was, what was really awesome was a lot of really smart people worked on it and they all learned from each other. So you're at Next. Then what? I had I, paid for, I, I had my own business while I was in college, paid for, paid for my way through college, all that stuff. And I wanted to, uh, I wanted to do something on my own. So I actually left next about, I think three and a half years, five years totally in. And I said, I'm going to start my own consulting company doing next consulting actually, because next was going to the corporate market and things like that. Did that yeah. for a little while. A company came and bought us. Uh, I hung out, uh, with that company and then, uh, with, with a company called Inventa, then went to a company called Active Software which we then subsequently took public and on and on and on and on. So, um, but nothing I can, I can, you know, I can look back 32 years now on my first day at Max and say nothing has affected my professional life, you know, outside of being born to my parents, nothing has been affected as affected my professional life more than the time I had at next. It shaped me in ways that you cannot imagine. You went on to found a company called Apogee. Yes. That had pretty storied uh, Silicon Valley story. Um, tell us a little bit about that. And then tell us about how it, it related to your experience at, um, with, with the Apple crowd um, and, and, and how it affected the way you created that company. Apogee was great. It was actually a company called Sonoa Systems that I inherited. Uh, and we had no revenue and no product. I started and... Uh, it was uh, a year later, I started in 2007, a year later, the market cratered. And so it was really interesting. Our pipeline went from, we had financial services companies in our pipeline and it went to zero, just like zero. Like we were, I had 
I had the honor of raising money between Bear Stearns failing and Lehman Brothers failing. So that was a, think about that, right? I mean, your Bear Stearns has failed and Lehman has not failed yet. And I was raising money the summer of 2008. It was a great experience, by the way. You, you, cannot, write, you cannot write it better than that, right? So um, we did that. Uh, we realized that our, business, uh, that our business was not heading in the right direction after the 2008 thing. I, I, took the, I, I, I took that correction as a massive gift, like I always do, because it gets a chance to rethink how you think about, how, how you think about your business. And we, we, we kind of like pivoted the company. We started a project called Apogee, and then we named the company Apogee. Hence, the, uh, even though I was not a founder of Sonoa, I definitely was a was a founder of Apogee, and there were there were two things that we. I always look for um, what I would you know. Some people call it PMF. I keep calling it like you know. What is the bigger trend you're attaching yourself to? What's the wave that you're attaching yourself to? And what happened in two thousand eight two thousand nine was the iPhone came out, and it was it you know started to change everybody's personal life and our perspective was going to change the way companies think about their customers. And so we started talking about APIs because people had to go and do a lot of things with APIs to create because APIs were a manifestation of your backend and they wanted to go off and create apps. So we said, let's go off and make that happen. So we attached ourselves first to the mobile uh, revolution, but then it became the digital transformation of enterprises. Which, by the way, is a 20-year cycle. It's not done yet. It's still happening, right? It started with mobile, went down to cloud, and the next one's going to be AI and ML, right? And so we, we actually just make sure we held on really tight and the company took off in spades because it wasn't about APIs only, even though that's the product we were selling. It was about people transforming their companies based on APIs that they were using in the cloud. They were using mobile apps. So we were... We were outrageously successful. Um, we went public. Uh, Google bought us, right? And uh, there were a long. There was a long list of companies that were very interested. We were very interested in Google, even though they were the last companies to the last company to show up. Uh, spent three years at Google. It was a phenomenal experience. But the most important thing about the Apogee experience for me was, yeah, we had sixty percent of Times Square real estate when we went public. Um, a, a bunch of people made a lot of money, all that stuff. But the two most interesting things for me was that we affected people's trajectory in the enterprises they work for, right? They, you know, I, and I, it's been, it's been a while since I've been, Apogee will always be my baby, but you know, I've at Google and somebody else is running it. Even now, right, I will talk to CIOs and CTOs and they're like, we love what you created. I'm like, you know, that, that to me is like awesome. And, and, the, and the second thing is, um, you you don't you don't you don't remember your bank balance when you're done. What you remember is who you were with when when you were you know and and the stories right. I mean how each other smelled and what you did and the good stuff. You know that those are the the memories are not about I made X. Obviously that matters, but what matters is how did you impact the world. That was number one. And the second thing is who did you do it with. Right, and that that to me has always stuck through everything that we did with Apogee. So, sorry, go ahead. What was the question? Yeah, it, it's true. It's 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 about the human beings, right? Um, and and what do they say? Uh, people don't remember what you say, but they remember how you how you made them feel, right? Correct. I mean, that's, absolutely. 
Um, but one of the things I want to go back to a little bit is, was that what were you doing with your firm and how did you motivate your employees or how did you instill confidence when you were at zero, right? Like, right? I mean, you, you are at the bottom, the world was blowing up, the, the market was down 40%. People didn't know if it would, it would go down another 40%. I mean, people don't remember it stopped at 40%, but there was a lot of us that thought, well, geez, it could keep going. <laughs> yeah. Um, how did you, how did, and then how did that affect the culture of the company as you prove? You know, there was a, there was a point, um, it's, I, I don't talk about this very often. There was a point when this was happening, when we actually created a DEF CON list, right? You know, and, and who would, and literally with the leadership team, who would get fired when? depending on how the company and the world around us did, and who would be the last person closing the doors. We actually had a list with people's names on it, right? This was the DEF CON list and people who were there still remember it and we talk about it. But what that, what, what was, what that did really interesting for us is um, it, it made us believe in each other and the cause. And like we were talking about before the show, my, my big, you know, somebody asked me a long time ago, um, he asked me a question, what differentiates you, right? What, what do you think is unique about you? And you cannot say I'm hardworking, integrity and teamwork and all that, right? That, those are table stakes, not skills. And I thought about it long and hard, right? I mean, you're, you know, pausing for 30 seconds is a long time. And my response was, I, I believe um, before almost anybody else I know. And so if you can, if you can believe in a concept, right. Um, and then you can inspire the people around you. Now you have only one step left, which is execute, right. And deliver. But if you can do the believe, inspire execution in that order all the time, it's been my mantra for a long time, right? Do I really, do I just between my two years, believe in it? And if I do, can I inspire other people to believe in it as much or as close to how much I believe in it? And if I can get that too, then it's then then I think I can I can execute and actually get there. So we use the same. I've been using the formula forever. It starts with me, then the other people, and then we go from there, right? So um, it was we 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 believed in each other and we believed in what we were trying to how we were trying to impact the world. There's there's one other thing, Dan, that I that actually matters, right? It is, and this may be related to your podcast, which is, um, you have to, you cannot just say you are doing this because you want to make money, right? You cannot just, you, you know, startups are lucrative and they make a lot of money and good things happen and all that stuff is awesome. Everybody should be thinking about their family, the next generation, all that stuff is good. But I am a hopeless romantic when it comes to doing startups. You have to believe, you have to believe that you're trying to change the world. And if you, if you, are, if you don't believe that, there are so many dark days in a startup that, um, that, you, will, um, that you, will, you will give up. If you're just, there are far better ways to make money in my opinion far better ways to make money. You have to really love it. It's like, you know, that chef, the restaurant owner, like, you know, you're doing this for 2% margins. Yeah, because I love cooking. 
right? And that's exactly what lands up happening in the tech world. But you have to have a bigger motivation. I want to break out uh, a discussion, and we touched on it before we launched into the show. Our investment philosophy uh, at Rock Investments is is that the market consistently misprices the value of character and leaders. And we define character in four ways. Uh, integrity, responsibility, forgiveness, and compassion. And those are the things we go out to the market and try to understand. When we were launching this strategy, people would say, well, geez, what are you going to do when you go run into the tech sector? Right? You're not going to find any of that in the tech sector. Um, and a lot of that was coming from the kind of the brand association with a lot of the big tech successes. And that includes Apple and Microsoft. Um, but amazingly, we did find some really wonderful, I think, high character CEOs, but, but they, were, they were different. I wanted to ask you, in the tech industry, the ones that are oriented towards changing the world, but they also sometimes are oriented towards multiples or maybe even exits, do you feel like a company that was, would be led with character would be at a disadvantage to a company that's led by more of a productive narcissist that's creating a culture that is really more oriented towards just obsessive results all the time? And can you build a tech company? I mean, you did it. You did it at Apogee. How did you do it? How did you compete with the other type? that are out there. I just would love to hear your perspective on the, uh, on character in the tech industry. Two parts to the discussion. Um, one is you have to be clear on what you believe in, the why, right? And for me, it is uh, in my little small way, changing the world, changing the trajectory of the enterprises that are developers that use our products do, right? That's, I, I really believe that I carry that in my sleeves that what drives my decisions on a regular basis. Not every decision is obvious. The moment I look at it from a developer or an enterprise point of view, it becomes a lot easier to make that decision. So be clear on what you believe in. Now, there may be other people who are good human beings that say, screw that, right? I'm, a, I'm just going to use uh, market cap as the only perspective way to actually think about this. And they may be right in their own right. There, there are many, many paths to success. Um, so that's one part, right? Be clear on who you are because what you don't want to don't want to do is, you know, believe in somebody else's view of the world. Right? So you've got to be clear on how who you are. The second thing is I um I think leadership is not that hard, Chad. I think it's a manifestation. The I, I believe it's a manifestation of yourself. And probably the best manifestation of yourself if you really work hard at it. And so if you, if you can, if you don't want to change the world, you will not be able to manifest that with other people. Right. And, and I think that's the, that's the part that I think about a lot. And I absolutely believe it's possible to go off and have to lead by character and leave, lead with values and lead with behaviors and lead from the front and have a following of people who work with you for five jobs, not for two jobs. And, um, not because not because you're going to make them a lot of money. That's also true, but you're going to have fun doing it and you're going to change the world, right? And you, again, so you feel much more fulfilled. Um, as, far as, as far as what happens in the Valley or in the tech industry in general, there's something that you've got to realize, right? Is, and I, and I, think I'll, I think your listeners will appreciate this point of view as somebody that 
that you would call an insider. Innovation is hard. Innovation is really hard. It is, um, it is, uh, it goes against everything, right? The world doesn't, the world's not set up to innovate, right? You're going, it's the, you know, it's really hard to go up against somebody who has got a hundred billion in revenue. And you're like, I believe in this concept. I only have a million dollars in revenue. Right. right? I mean, that's what they like, do, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, you know, there's like the, the beat down every time, right, is happening. And so what that does is creates a tremendous amount of pressure on the individuals that are working to make that happen. Some of their childhood issues show up during that journey. <laughs> so... That is the, so the, and I'm not making excuses for anybody who is not behaving right and doesn't show up the right way and things like that. But, but please don't, I'm, I'm no excuses whatsoever, right? But innovation is just hard, right? Growing a company is hard. And because you're fighting everything, everybody around you, right? Along the way. And so, so that pressure creates just a tension and you just have to keep it. And you have to keep it straight in your head and say, why do I believe? Why am, why, why am I working with the people I'm working with? And am I putting one foot in front of the other? I love this. That was so well said. I think, and this is an important distinction, and I'm glad that you kind of led, led us in this direction. That is that character is not a moral thing. Character is, 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 uh, is screwing up all the time, but knowing how to recover, really. I mean, like, in other words, it's how you recover from the screw ups or the mess ups or the childhood moments that come bubbling up in the heat of a moment. You know, it's it's not that you don't have them, right? And I often I often say with our with our team, it's like it's amazing if we can find CEOs in crisis because that's the best time to see how they react and how they how they how they respond. And so I celebrate implosions, and it's because it's a it's this, it's the testament of how a company and the team and the individual ultimately, myself, when I screw up, you know, how do we recover, right? After, uh, by the way, and, and we're, going through, we're going through it now, Dan, right? I mean, think about it. Um, this is very different from 2001 and very different from 2008, right? The bottom fell out in those two, in those, in these two eras, right? This one is weird because you're not going to go off. If you see people doing layoffs, they're doing 15%, 17% layoffs, all that stuff. No one is going to 40% because they're trying to throttle on what is happening when the market will recover. And you you have to do it thoughtfully and transparently with the team. You're doing, they're reading everything that you're reading, probably more. And so how are you bringing judgment to making that happen? And I think, um, I think in times like this, uh, people underestimate um, like, like the recession that we're going through or the tough times you're going through economically. COVID, I think people underestimate the value of communication and transparency, right? And just, and just saying, hey, you know, like you said, I think we made a bad call there. We're going to correct. But let me tell you what my thought process was so that you get a sense of how I solve problems. And, oh, that was a key call, right? And, and, pre and spending some time talking about both, not just, it's a rah, rah, rah world, right? Because they are, they are keeping up with everything that you're seeing. Yeah, and if they if they know you're genuine, um, they can read it, right? Correct. I mean, it, it matters. Tell us tell us about a time when you felt like your business career character was really challenged, and or or a moment whenever um, 
you were really kind of formed as a leader? It was um, a, a long time ago, a very long time ago. I've, I've had many moments like that, um, that are defining moments. Um, but, a, but a long time ago, um, there, I, I think about my learning moments as um, in the beginning of my career, they were um, more public. And as my career progressed, they were more private. Right. And I think that's the distinction for me. Um, there was a public moment a long time ago when I was at Next and I was doing a demo and we had all the senior executives from Next and I was completely like imploding. And we had seen, it was just imploding. I was like, my, I think my, I, I think my shirt was like drenched with sweat. I thought, you know, I, I thought I would take my grandmother's example of, you know, put a, put a drop of water in the middle of your palm and jump in it and drown. I, I thought I had drowned, like make yourself so small that you just drown in that drop of water. And uh, it was like, when it was happening, I thought my world was coming to an end. And what I learned from that process was that, you know, you, you breathe and you put, you get up the next morning and you put one foot in front of the other and it kind of sort of works out, right? And you just have to make sure you don't spend a lot of time thinking about it, but spend enough time to do any corrective actions, right? In, in, in making that happen. But that was what would, that was mind blowing for me, right? And, and how it happened. And there's some, there's some other things that have happened as I've led larger and larger organizations and the impact is felt 10X, right? It's not just the people that we, that we employ at Datastacks or we employ at Apogee. It's also their families. It is also the vendors. It's also the enterprise we work with. So there's a 10X impact on people. And uh, which is why I go back to, you've got to keep it straight. Right, why are you doing it? How are you doing it? If you screw up, you tell somebody that you screwed up and you just say, you know what? That was a bad decision. But there's a lot of great decisions we made and we'll get back on making great decisions again. So, but there is a distinction between what used to have, what I used to care about earlier in my career and my learning moments have been far more private recently. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about uh, Datastacks. What are you doing today and where are you going with it? With so Datastacks is, uh, man, it is, uh, it is awesome, right? We're, we're having uh, so much fun. So 70% um, of all, 70% of all apps that you use on your phone or on your, on your, on your browser will be ML driven by 2025. Right, and that's ML driven. Mass- For those that don't know what ML means, machine learning. Sorry, or AI driven, right? Or AI driven. So um, to do that, you need to have a lot of good data. Data that sits in a database with Astra DB. Data that is moving around from one system to the other, uh, and you need to make sure that you bring machine learning and AI to your data and what we call real time AI. So we are the leaders for real-time AI, right? We're making it happen and we're doing it. We're doing it at 3X the scale, 3X time to market and at half the cost. We're, we're having a blast doing it, but what makes it really, again, I'll go back to what we started with, Dan, what uh, DataStacks is, is, is also, the, the reason we have so much fun doing it is because A, we love the problem. We think every enterprise will have to deal with it. And number two, we actually really like working with each other and the customers that we hang out with, right? So that combination creates a vortex for us that, you know, that through the ups and downs, bad months, good months, COVID, you know, recession, all that stuff, we actually get through it in a big way. But 
the number of companies that are doing real-time AI, because most AI is done in the batch worlds, right? You do it on data that's a one day old. The number of companies making real-time AI happen, like on your app, is really small. And we are the, one of the pioneers in making it happen. And the, the author of the book, Return on Character, um, who did a seven-year study on the impact of CEOs, his name is Fred Keel. He passed away last year. He's he's one of my great mentors and friends. One of his kind of dying dreams was to make sure that character science influenced artificial intelligence considerations. And I thought it was really forward-thinking, blew my mind, and, I, and I'd love to just put it to you, like, do you, is there a place for that? Is it needed? What do you think? This is a much harder problem, so I want to, don't want to trivialize it. A long yeah. time ago, this thing called HTTP came, came, came across, and we started getting the World Wide Web. And people were like, ah, oh, it's not going to take off. I'm never going to cash my check on the, on the internet. Guess what? All checks are cashed on the internet, right? All of them. So we got past all security issues to get there. That's the beautiful thing about tech is that you can actually get through a lot of different things over a period of time because some great minds work on it and, right. and not just working on it for the heck of working on it with a, you know, with a business model in mind, because that's what fuels the innovation over a period of time. I think, um, I think AI is going to be bigger than anything anybody fathoms. Anybody, right? I think it'll be bigger than the web. I think it'll be bigger than any of the client service stuff you've done or mobile or anything like that. It'll be, it'll affect, there's not a single part of our life it'll not affect, right? But I think it'll also take time. And I think there is, there is a spot for context. That doesn't, and that's the point that you were making on character, right? We've, we have not figured out, just like we didn't figure out the security protocols for how things were done. I think we've not figured out the recipe of how context shows up in everything that we do. ChatGPT rocks. It really does rock. I mean, it's awesome. But you know what it is? It, all it does is puts one word in front of the other and make sure the sentence makes sense. It has no idea what the sentence means. At some point, we will have to add context to, you know, it's great. Please don't get me wrong. I will take a chat GPT document and edit it and put my context in there. It's a great head start, but it's not truth. It's not contextual truth, right? It's just an opinion of a machine that says, I'm going to put one word in front of each other. So lots of work to be done, but I'm super enthusiastic and not about the bigger thing, because I think that happens with a bunch of really small things. And our, the stuff that we're really excited about is, I did three clicks. Please predict my fourth click. Yeah, it is, That would be a great start, right? I want the apps not to be dumb apps. I just want them to be smart. Chad got up at 6, you know, 6 a.m. He generally gets up at 4. I think I need to change his schedule a bit. How, that would be a great start. <laughs> so you're saying we're in the early beginnings of of the brave new world that we do not know, uh, literally look like. And, and Dan, you know this, right? It's, um, minds are far more mature than markets are, right? They're, you know, they just, they just are. And so we are doing this now in our minds. I think the world will see the impact in many years to come as well as decades to come. But this one is going to be bigger than anything else. I think 
as big or even better than the industrial or bigger than the industrial revolution. So, so is, is data stack share going to go public? It is, cert- it, is, it is certainly an option for us. We are, um, we are not in any rush. We're building a great business. I've been through that journey. Um, a lot of people, I, here's the advice I give uh, young entrepreneurs. When you think you're ready, delayed by six months. In six months, delayed by another six months. And then in 12 months, try to do it nine months later. So, you know, pushing it out is better than, than, than pulling it in. It sounds, it's a great marketing event. It's a great event to raise money. It, a lot of people land to get, to get liquidity. But I think what you want to do is create a, what, we, what I passionately call a durable business. A durable business with a culture that actually enjoys showing up to work and, leaves, and people enjoy working with one another. We'll chat. It's, the, it's the fuel. <laughs> I mean, to me, it's a great example of, uh, of of the new way to be on Silicon Valley. Maybe it's happening more than I realize. I want to be avail- aware, aware of it as much as we possibly can. And thank you for being an example of it. And thank you for giving me a, uh, and all of us your time. It's so wonderful to know you as a human. And uh, keep going. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you so much. Thanks, Sam. This was a blast.